3: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
4: 305 DG. Ask Michael Kelly on his way. Rachel's had a really strong reaction when I took my beanie off. There's a beanie, Dave, and there's no
5: beanie, Dave. i have been wearing a beanie this whole week, and then you took it off. I was like, oh, my goodness.
6: What's a, it, Do you don't break much during beanie season, do you? No, not really. Like pretty much November until when?
4: Uh, I like the beanie and so I probably wear it longer than I should it covers half my head (laughs) do you wear beanies, are you a home beanie guy because they're warm yeah, so at home I like to keep it really cold Mm -hmm. upper 50s and then I have a heated blanket and a uh, 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 heat heating pad. Yeah. <laughs> I sound I sound insane.
6: Um, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it real cold and then yeah. try to get warm. Oh
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. I and like
6: that though. That's how I like to sleep.
4: I do too. And and then I I usually have the beanie. I don't sleep in a beanie because I'm not <laughs> a, I'm not a serial killer. But <laughs> <laughs> you sleep in a big Scrooge nightcap. You guys have <laughs> any whoobies? Any like nighttime uniforms?
5: Hmm. Um, I just have my fluffy bank- blank, wow.
4: <laughs> Here's my banky. You got your banky. You got your fluffy banky. And amb- amb- yep. burglar. <laughs> Pretty much cuddle,
5: cuddle up with that every night.
4: Just the old banky, Dave. You know how it is. You know how we do around here.
5: <laughs> that was embarrassing. But uh, yeah, that's my thing. And Real- I, I have a whole ritual around like, you know, as a girl, I have to like take off my makeup, take out my contacts. Then I get in my jammies and then I'm, you know, cozy and, and is ready to go. that a...
4: As soon as you get home, thing or is that a pre-bed thing?
5: It's like halfway in between getting home and going to bed. Sounds like it sucks. It does. It's a bu- the thing is you can't wait until it's just time to go to bed because then you'll wake yourself up. Yeah, like doing the whole ritual. So yeah. you got to pick your moment.
4: Michael Kelly, you have the nicest hair of anyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that? I love it. It's all dippity It's all, d- it's up, all dude. good.
7: Yeah,
2: <laughs> I
4: had a meeting today. I had to look professional. Did you at one point have really long hair? No,
2: it's been. Uh, Blonde and big curls, big loopy curls when I was a little Gonna kid. Going to need some <laughs> pics. And then puberty <laughs> turned into kinky brown hair. <laughs> oh,
4: and your whole family prematurely gray, right? Totally. You and your sisters.
2: Every one of us.
4: How about that? How old I, were you when it, went, when it went gray? High school. Oh, wow. What? Oh. Started
2: to get gray hair when I was in high school. Wow. And did that pluck one, pluck two, and I'll, you know, I have two parents who at my age now Said to me, you can pluck them all you want, but look at us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And so then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to embrace it. And I'm fortunate that it's a, it's a it's, it's clean pretty. white. It's like, pretty, There's yeah. a couple different kinds of white. There's that yellowy, oily one. But uh, fortunately, it's the clean white. So I like it. Yeah. Did your sisters embrace, embrace it as well? Um, yeah. Hopefully none of them are listening. <laughs> uh, four <laughs> of the five have full-on embraced it. Yeah. One uh, on a most recent uh, trip together. Fight the like, fight. Yeah. She was like, I think I may give up on it here soon. So uh, and uh, I've they've they've got I mean, they're beautiful girls. So whatever they do will be fine.
4: I think it's very attractive. I I think that uh, premature gray is really attractive. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I've always uh, said that, that my brother, when my brother passed away at 49, he was completely white gray. And it's taken me much longer, but my beard's getting pretty close. And it's bothering me for some reason, and I don't know why, because I've always said that if you're otherwise semi-attractive and you're prematurely gray, but now that I... I, guess, I don't guess I'm prematurely gray. I guess I'm just gray. I would never color my beard because that just seems like, right. you know...
2: Yeah, that's kind of weird.
4: Pretty douchey. Yeah, well, this is something that I've noticed in
2: the last couple of months is I'm starting to get gray eyebrows. And so that's kind of weird. You'll wake up in the morning with like, you know, oh, yeah. gray eyebrows coming mm-hmm. out and
4: stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, is your dad who's the ginger in your family?
6: No, nobody. Really? Like, not in the immediate family. Like, my, my, I have an aunt is that, that has red hair. I don't know. My, my mom has like dark brunette hair. My dad's is kind of like sandy, blonde, brownish. Um, and my brother, my sister, and I are all gingers. Hmm. So. What percentage of the
4: world's population is gingers? Like
6: it's be less than like two percent, right? It's, uh, it's
2: the top percent
6: too,
4: right? I think it's dwindling.
6: Is it? Yeah, I think oh. you guys are going away. Mm, we got to talk about that at the next meeting. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, let's, talk a l- let's
6: talk a little bit
4: of, uh, uh, of uh, politics since we have Michael here. So a new poll is showing Joe Biden ahead of Donald Trump, which, of course, polls are polls are polls are polls. Uh, you have to look at them overall and consider all the things going into it and where you are in, in, in the system. But for the first time that I know of uh, in at least one poll, he's beating him pretty handily.
2: I don't know how much I believe uh, of any of this polling. Uh, the Most of the polling, and I don't know what you're referencing here, specifically, Dave, but most of the polling... Will you that, Google that? Uh, it was a so Quinnipiac that we, poll. Yeah, That's no, what I but thought. I mean, yeah. So I would suspect it's not a state-by-state poll. So most of the uh, polls that we're seeing right now, there's just a popular opinion horse race poll. Right. That's not really reflective of the presidential campaign we're going to have. Um, in fact, uh, President Biden and Trump may only visit five or six states when wow. they're running for president in wow. this coming cycle. And we probably can name them all right yeah, here. Yeah, why
4: would Trump come to Missouri? He,
2: we know who's going to win here. Yeah. Why would Biden come here? We know where he's who's going to win in Illinois. Uh, so it's really going to come down to Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, maybe Florida, uh, West Virginia, You know, some of the same places that, that we hear all the time, and that's where the, all the money is going to be spent. So when I see those kind of public opinion polls that say, oh, Biden's up or Biden's down. Eh, I'm really interested in what's happening in those five or six states. So
4: 353,000 new jobs created about twice what they were expecting, 3.7% unemployment, stock market hitting all-time highs. Uh, Why isn't Joe Biden getting more, or at least why aren't people uh, giving more credit to that the economy looks good? Well, that's a great question. We had this discussion earlier this morning and.
2: My theory was, is, hey, look, I remember going to the grocery store two years ago and I'd fill up my little buggy and I kind of knew roughly what it was going to cost. Now, when I'm going to the grocery store, I'm filling up that same buggy and it's about a hundred dollars more than it was two years ago. So I think people are still dealing with the sugar shock. I think that's
4: exactly it. Don't you guys think so? That's exactly it. That your groceries (laughs) cost more and you don't want to buy a house because the interest rate is so high. So you kind of don't care what a bunch of egghead economists say the GDP is or the unemployment or this or the that. You care about your pocketbook, and you think that the smart guys who run it would would get that more.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel it. I mean, I still am like, goodness, great. I sound like an old person, but everything's so expensive. Concert tickets, grocery stores, everything you do is just going through the roof. So you're right. You hear that we, we created 300,000 jobs today and the uh, wages went up to four more percent unemployment's down to 3.5%. It all sounds good, but at the end of the day, man, my buggy yeah. still costing me $100 more. Now, there's a lot of time between now and November. We're all getting used to inflation. We kind of accept now that gas is going to be $3 plus. You know, we, we're done thinking that it's going to go back to 2 bucks. So as we come to that acceptance, people start to operate in the new reality of where we're at. I don't think this election is going to be about the economy. I think it's going to come down to um, the argument that you're going to hear from Joe Biden is, look, I, I'm i a stable person, um, and here's the core policies I believe in, um, and that's what I'm going to stand for. And then at the same time, I think Donald Trump's going to go out and make his case and say these are the policies that I uh, believe in. Unlike most presidential elections in our lifetime, I just don't believe that people are voting on the economy this time. I think they're voting on – uh,
4: these individuals and, and more importantly, their behaviors. This is a really big topic, but Wheels, unless I have misunderstood you, uh, I think you are a fan of getting rid of the electoral college and just having a vote vote, correct?
6: I am. Yeah. I mean, like, as, as Michael said, there's if, if you are, I mean, why would a presidential candidate come here? Well, then what if you vote Democratic, why would you vote in Missouri? If you vote Republican, why would you even bother in California for the presidency? I mean. I mean, you can impact local races and all of that, but more people come out for the presidency or for the, for the presidential vote. So what's the point if I'm a Republican living in California, every single delegate is going to the Democrat. And no matter how, no matter what, what I do, that I'm not changing that. And obviously each state is different. Some of them are close and those are the ones we're talking about, but we've, by doing it the way we're doing it, we're making this decision come down to four or five States and, I don't I don't understand how it's beneficial or even Democratic to be in a position where your vote will not matter for the president of the United States, depending on where you live. But if you live in Michigan or Ohio or Pennsylvania or a couple other places, well, then it matters. But in most states, it just doesn't matter because it's not a contest.
2: When I first got involved in politics, there was a push to go to the national popular vote, which I think is essentially what you're arguing for. Um, And that was being pushed by the Republicans at the time. Mm. Uh, And I I wasn't interested in it. I was like, oh, no, that that doesn't sound good. Now the Democrats are doing it. Nine out of ten last elections, I think it is, last presidential elections, the the Democrats have won the popular vote. There's just more Democrats in this country than Republicans. So one of the reforms I'd love to see is get rid of the Electoral College. But so few of us are playing a part in the primary process because of the way we have this set up where – we have Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. I would like to see the parties go to a more regional primary system so that maybe at the beginning of February, all the northeast states go to vote. And the middle of February to the last, the southwest or southeast. And we hop around, which would force Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump in this instance to be in states that they would never go to. Um, for any other reason. The only reason Joe Biden's going to show up in St. Louis, Missouri is if somebody like me is having a fundraiser for him. Otherwise, we are truly flyover country. Now, yeah. He's probably going to spend a lot of time in Illinois raising money. He's are going to be talking to voters. Uh,
4: the U.S. has launched retaliatory strikes on Iranian-backed targets in Iraq and Syria. We are... Uh, working on getting a guest maybe from CBS or maybe uh, Colonel McCausland. So we'll have that for you at some point during the hour. And I, I don't think we know much about what it is or where it is yet. But as it comes in, we will talk about that.
0: This is a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington, and we are coming on the air with breaking news. The U.S. has launched a series of retaliatory strikes in response to that deadly drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers in Jordan last weekend. President Biden was given a number of options on how and when to respond to the deadly attack without trying to set off a wider war in the Middle East. The Pentagon has indicated that today's actions are to send a clear message that attacks on American troops and U.S. interests will not be tolerated. Let's bring in CBS News national security correspondent David Martin. He's at the Pentagon. And David, what are you hearing about these strikes?
8: Well, we are hearing from uh, several officials that airstrikes have begun against about half a dozen different locations inside Iraq and Syria, and that these strikes include bombing runs by B-1 bombers. The B-1 is an aircraft that was originally designed to drop a nuclear weapon on the Soviet Union and has been converted to a a conventional bomber and it is capable of carrying up to 75,000 pounds of bombs. So that's two of those planes uh, involved in this strike. Now, the targets here are both the militias that have been conducting these attacks and the Iranian facilities and personnel who have been aiding the militias, arming and training them to conduct these attacks. The administration has done such a job of telegraphing this strike ever since Monday, when President Biden said he had decided on a response that you have to assume that all of the personnel uh, that the U.S. might be looking for have gone to ground, either having left the country entirely or having surrounded themselves with women and children, which is uh, usually a pretty good safeguard against uh, getting hit by a U.S. bomb. So uh, we're not probably going to get the individuals this time, but there are going to be a lot of locations. Uh, that are damaged or destroyed.
0: David, thank you. Yeah, that's using some significant air power there in order to carry out those attacks. also want to bring in Margaret Brennan, who is our chief foreign affairs correspondent and moderator of Face the Nation. And, Margaret, let's talk about that. There has been some criticism of this administration that the president telegraphed Mm -hmm. that strikes were coming. There has been some reporting uh, that a number of these uh, Iranian... Uh, intelligence and military officials who perhaps were in Syria and Iraq assisting those militias there have already fled. What do
9: we know about that? That's exactly right. David put his finger on that, and sources in the region told me as much, uh, that a lot of those IRGC Quds Force uh, trainers have left Iraq and Syria knowing this was coming, and that is also intentional by the United States. The U.S. has not assessed that Tehran directed this attack. But President Biden did say he holds Iran responsible for providing the weapons and the assistance to the militias that did. So they are drawing a distinction there. And part of this Uh, Attempt is to avoid a direct conflict with the state of Iran, instead taking on these proxy forces. And this is not the first U.S. strike. Uh, In fact, January 23rd was the last time the U.S. hit uh, Qatayb Hezbollah, the militia underneath that umbrella organization that hit the United States, and the U.S. bombed in Baghdad at the beginning of January to take out one of the leaders as well. Can you explain why that distinction
0: matters? Because certainly for the families, of those three U.S. soldiers who were killed and there was that dignified transfer for them today. There is this question, of course, well, it was they are funded by Iran. They are using Iran, uh, Iranian-made weapons and supplies. They've received the training. So what difference does it make whether they specifically ordered this attack or this drone to strike? Because there were multiple other uh, strikes on this base and there have been 100
9: total strikes on our U.S. personnel in the region. Absolutely. And and to those families, it makes no difference. They lost those three individuals, those three soldiers, two women and one man. There is no explanation here or splitting of hairs on the intelligence. But for those in the situation room trying to decide how to hit military targets without drawing the United States into a direct conflict with the regime in Tehran, they are putting a lot on that differentiation. They are also putting a lot on the idea that you can be Iranian-directed in terms of financial planning and training, but not told to carry out the attack. And they have said time and again, both officials in the region and U.S. officials, that it is getting harder and harder to actually get these militias under control because there is no longer one powerful general like there used to be when Qasem Soleimani, the legendary general, was in control using these proxy forces to carry out Iran's will, but hiding behind them as well by trying to avoid that direct conflict. And remember, he was taken out by the Trump administration in a drone attack in 2020.
0: Right. We were just in the region, of course, and some of the criticism that has been levied by Republicans in Congress is that these have been pinprick attacks going after uh, infrastructure, going after weapons depots, but not going after command and control or the individuals
9: that are carrying out or ordering these
0: attacks or funding them. An important
9: point, another one, and this was a conversation before this deadly attack on U.S. personnel, is whether President Biden will decide to keep U.S. military military in the region to the extent he has them. There are about 3,400 U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria combined. And there were already talks about drawing down the 2,500 in Iraq. Does the president want to keep U.S. military personnel there when they are sometimes easy targets in these constant tit-for-tat attacks? Or will he pull them out? That's under active diplomatic negotiation right now. And at U.S. embassies throughout the region, there's a heightened security alert to protect the personnel there.
0: CBS News reporting at this hour that these retaliatory strikes have begun in Iraq and Syria, ordered by the president of the United States, the Pentagon carrying out these attacks, according to our Pentagon correspondent, David Martin, with B-1 bombers. And it comes on the very same day that the bodies of the three U.S. soldiers killed in Jordan, Sergeant William Rivers, Sergeant Kennedy Sanders, and Sergeant Brianna Moffitt returned to the U.S. today. We saw President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden. They were at Dover Air Force Base just today in Delaware for this dignified transfer of their remains. We want to bring in CBS News Chief White House Correspondent Nancy Cordes. And Nancy, this is one of the most solemn tasks that a president can do.
7: It is, Nora, and it's only the second time that Mr. Biden, as president, has uh, had to do it. Uh, today, of course, he was paying his respects to these three soldiers who, uh, who died in Jordan, two of whom were posthumously promoted to sergeant this week. Um, But back in August of 2021, just about seven months after he took office, he was at Dover welcoming home the bodies of 13 U.S. service members who were killed in that bombing at the Kabul airport in the final chaotic days of the U.S. pullout from Afghanistan. Uh, You could clearly see the, uh, the anguish on the president's face there today. He was joined by the secretary of defense, who was using a cane after recently being hospitalized. He was there with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and with the families of these three victims. They were off camera. You couldn't see them, but they were seated there. And before their loved ones were taken off of that military jet in preparation for uh, for their funerals, we are told that the president had an opportunity to actually meet with those family members in a room there at Dover Air Force Base to pay his respects in person.
0: Nancy Cordes at the White House reporting today about the president being there for that dignified transfer. Thank you so much. Just to recap, CBS News reporting now the U.S. has begun conducting those strikes in Iraq and Syria to retaliate for that drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers. David Martin saying this is a half a dozen locations in Iraq and Syria and that the aircraft involved Included two B-1 bombers. Our coverage will continue on CBS News streaming your local news. And tonight, right on the CBS Evening News. This has been a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington.
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
4: Welcome back, guys. DGS 337, big news. Uh, America has struck back. Uh, I'm starting to say ironically, but I'm sure it's the opposite of ironically. On the day that the honored dead come back, uh, President Biden was there to to um, see them through the process. And we have uh, struck Uh, several sites, about half a dozen, it sounds like, in Syria and Iraq. Michael Kelly's here hanging out with us. We're we're going to talk to Dave Murray, and we're probably going to cut this segment a little bit short because uh, Colonel Jeff McCausland, who's our friend from CBS, is going to join us and talk about the X's and O's of what has happened and how that's going to lead to what. So, uh, Dave, let's talk about the forecast.
10: Yeah, we can get this done fairly quickly. There's not a lot going on. There's no big cold in sight for the next several days. There's no big storms in sight for the next several days. It's just kind of a blah weather pattern with a fair share of clouds. Any sun we see will be kind of bonus sun. So let's think clouds with some sunshine on Saturday, 55. Cloudy skies Saturday night, 38. Sunday, a storm system passes mainly well to our south. It could toss up a couple of light rain showers. But I just don't see much, but a lot of clouds on Sunday and 52, a little bit on the breezy side. A slow, slow clearing process on Sunday night. Monday, hopefully, we'll squeeze some sunshine out and 52 degrees. There's no cold air in sight for next week, but that's not a surprise. The following week, still kind of anticipating something to drop in from the Arctic, but the details are very sketchy right now.
5: Cool. Want to do some headlines, Rach? Sure. Let me find those they're buried in my papers here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm nervous with I all this stuff happening. I did that too quickly. All right, let's see here. Headlines is brought to you by Schnooks. Reward yourself daily with the Schnooks Rewards app. Did you guys see this huge inmate riot at a prison in California? They've declared a statewide prison lockdown as a result. Uh, this prison riot involved 200 inmates And uh, they rushed the guards at Ironwood State Prison, attacking them with fists and rocks. Eight prison staffers and one prisoner were injured during the riots. And uh, so they've ordered a 24-hour lockdown as a result.
4: So I know it all depends on how much time you're doing and X, Y, Z. But what are the chances if you're in prison and a riot breaks out, you jump in?
5: Zero percent. I would go run and hide.
6: (laughs) Unless somebody's telling you if you don't, they're going to give you the... Shiv. Thank you God know? that's what you said. Yeah. Uh, Michael yeah, Kelly. Wow. God,
2: I would be fading into the woodwork if I could. <laughs> <You're>
6: like hiding <laughs> like that, under like the that, bed. Like that Homer Simpson <laughs> meme where he's backing into the bushes.
4: <laughs> I, uh, I've i only been – I've been in jail a couple times uh, for real. I've never been to prison except once. And a guy I worked for when I was very, very young, I'm probably my first year of being a lawyer, he was very anti-death penalty. And he was representing a guy pro bono who had killed a guard during a prison riot. Oh. And I was going in to interview this guy. I think his name was Boss Hogg. And he was about 500 pounds. And uh, it was down Gumbo Flats when they had the, 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 the jail down there, prison down there. I got to tell you something. It, it when you go and they you don't know, wear a suit, got my little briefcase, got my name tag. Everyone knows that I'm not an inmate. I'm a lawyer. But when you walk in and they shut that door behind you, there's just nothing like it. it, it you can just imagine if you were there to stay. Yeah. And then I went into this little room and it was just like a movie. Here's this enormous man. Who kind of is only wants to talk to me because he gets out of his cell for a while, right? And the guards like he's a bad boy. You you want me to stay in here with you? And I'm like. Yes, but I don't know the rules, Please. and so probably not. So just be close. And then interviewed him for an hour and left, but it was it was quite an experience. You're like just listen for the scream. Yeah, it really was like it was super super intimidating.
6: Yeah, like obviously never done that, but that it almost sounds like you're describing a scene. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the movie about the foundation of the behavioral sciences unit of the FBI There's a TV show about that and. Yeah. The guy interviews, yeah, I think you're right. And he's interviewing Ed Kemper, who was a serial killer who was like six foot six and three hundred and ninety pounds or whatever.
4: 180 IQ.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Super smart guy. And I I can't even imagine. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be in that room. We've had the
4: lady on. We should do. We should find her again, Andrew. The, The lady who interviewed all the serial killers. And she was really fascinating. Like Ted Bundy did not want to talk about it. He wanted to charm you. He wanted to talk about squash or whatever it is. But as soon as you started talking about what happened, he would get real, real weird. Even for Ted Bundy, another story, right?
5: Yeah, one more here. Uh, did you guys see that Darius Rucker from Hootie yeah. and the Blowfish uh, was busted for an alleged drug offense? Uh, they're saying that he allegedly like handed off some drugs to another person, so he was arrested for that uh, in Tennessee um uh, yesterday hmm. two I, counts of simple possession and casual exchange of a controlled substance
4: it's on tmz up here they're saying that michael buble was tripping on mushrooms at some sort of an event you see that i did i saw it this
2: morning so it's at the uh nhl all-star game uh they must have a celebrity game where nah. different folks play and he played and he came into the to the locker room. I didn't realize uh that that's what they've decided he was tripping, but he was he he clearly was drunk or something excited, you know. And yeah. he wasn't out of control. He was just very verbose and what having he had a good to time. say. Yeah, having a good time. One
4: more story?
5: Sure. Um a man got into Disney with a 46-year-old ticket. <laughs> did you see this story? I did. Uh, it's kind of cool. So he had like a, a pass from 46 years ago and he said, all right, I'm going to try it. Let's see. And I guess it was in a booklet with a bunch of passes. And he said the worker went through and was stamping void on all of them. So he was thinking he wasn't going to get in. But she left and came back with this slip that led him into the park for the day. So kind of cool.
6: Well, they used to sell like forever tickets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like way back. Yeah. You could get one and it was good forever. Um, but it must be one of those they mm-hmm. uh, that they must still honor.
5: So the Disney World website says Walt Disney World Resort continues to honor all unexpired theme park tickets with remaining admission days. I guess that means even if it's 46 years old. Hmm.
4: Pretty cool. Michael, have a great weekend, pal. See you guys. Appreciate it. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk to Colonel Jeff McCausland from CBS. Welcome back, guys. DGS on KMOX 350. Just moments ago, we found out that, uh, according to U.S. CENTCOM, targets have been hit inside Syria, and Iraq. And we have Colonel Jeff McCausland, friend of the DGS and security specialist for CBS, joining us now. Colonel, as always, uh, honor and privilege. What do we know so far? Colonel McCausland? All right I think we're gonna try and get him on the phone. Hmm. They're saying that uh eighty five targets were hit by one hundred and twenty five precision munitions.
7: Hmm.
4: so that's I didn't know what to expect. I was expecting to be underwhelmed and disappointed, quite frankly. Uh, I'm a bit of a hawk when it comes to this kind of thing, especially when we are hit first. Uh, I don't think I didn't like when Blinken was saying, like, hey, look, we're not trying to st- to start anything. We're not trying to escalate. I didn't like that Biden foreshadowed it. Uh, I don't like giving warning. I'd like to be a little more of a badass than that. But then again, what the hell do I know?
6: <laughs> it's not like the first time we've ever telegraphed a punch,
11: you know?
4: No, no, it's not. Uh, we have the colonel on the phone now. Colonel McCausland, welcome back to the show. Uh, what do we know so far, Colonel?
11: Well, just that, that we have conducted airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. Now, this has been expected for a number of days following the attack on Tower 22 at American base in Jordan. Last Sunday, they killed three American service personnel. Unclear exactly the extent of the targets. Widely believed, I think, that this will be, if you will, an air campaign of a couple of days as we hit targets, do battle damage assessment, and then hit those targets a second time uh, if, in fact, required.
4: Colonel, is this sort of like the equivalent of when you were a kid and you were acting up and your dad would give you the stare and you're like, okay, okay, I get it? Is that what we're trying to do here is just give them that enough of a stare through these munitions to say, okay, back the hell off?
11: Well, maybe another metaphor is we we want the Goldilocks lock solution not too hot, not too cold, and just right. Not too hot being one which then risks widespread escalation and the possibility of a regional conflict that could stretch all the way from the Mediterranean to Iran. But not too cold. We've done some just one-off, one-off strikes following previous attacks against American bases, and that obviously did not serve to deter these particular groups from attacking U.S. forces. So now we've got to up the ante, I think, to make this a much more sustained series of attacks to reduce their military capabilities and effectiveness and also send a whole lot stronger message to them, and frankly, their Iranian backers, that they need to cease and desist before this gets out of hand.
4: Colonel, they've been uh, talking about it for a few days, and this happened to be the day that they uh, brought the three honored dead soldiers back home. Do you think that that was uh, intentional?
11: No, I don't think that was necessarily intentional. I think what has taken time is there have been reports of uh, bad weather over the target area and a lot of desire on the part of CITCOM that they were able to conduct the strikes uh, visually in many cases that way to reduce the possibility of collateral damage. Secondly. They had to assemble the force for the conduct. Thirdly, they had to make sure they had the right intelligence on what targets to hit, what group was responsible. And then last but not least, we probably had to look at our force protection in the region. We have a whole bunch of bases across Iraq and Syria. We wanted to make sure if this escalated and those bases were then subsequently attacked in a more significant fashion, we had the means to reinforce, defend, and if need be, extract Americans from those bases.
6: Colonel, when we talk about, you know, a message sent to these militant groups, do they receive those messages? Are they a little bit more extreme and it's just we're going to go until we can't go anymore? Is the message more for Iran?
11: It's for both. These figure groups have their own agenda for a lot of reasons. They want to enhance their brand. This group, Khatab Hezbollah, don't forget that their leader was in the car with Qasem Soleimani, head of the IRGC Quds Force, when he was assassinated by an American Hellfire missile on the orders of President Trump. Some of this is payback for that. They also want to get American forces out of Iraq and following these attacks and negotiations with the Iraqi government has begun that would, in fact, probably lead to that. So they have their own agenda in this particular regard. And I think they realize they may have pushed this over the edge because in the last few days they have come out publicly and said, oh, we're not going to conduct any more attacks. We don't want to embarrass the Iraqi government. And the Iranians themselves have repeatedly said over and over and over that we had nothing to do with it. So I think very quickly they realized that they may have pushed this too far, and they're now scurrying for the exits.
4: That's Colonel Jeff McCausland from CBS. Colonel, thank you so much. Have a great weekend.
3: My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?